Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 119. Thank you for joining us. Today we're joined by Tom and Noelle Crow of the American Catholic History Podcast. Their podcast covers interesting Catholics and their influence on American history. Tom and Noelle share some highlights with us in addition to how and why they started this endeavor and some of the other interesting things that they're doing. This was a lot of fun for me as they talked about some of my favorite places, Wisconsin, Bardstown, Kentucky. In addition to one of my favorite questions, was George Washington Catholic? We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Stephen, do I remember correctly that you passed through some historic sites on a recent road trip? Yes, it was somewhat intentional. I had to pick my daughter up from a camp out in West Virginia, no, in Maryland. And so my son, who who we love uh, American history, traveled with me and we stopped at a battlefield site in Tennessee. And then we spent the better part of a day up at Gettysburg, which was amazing. It was really amazing. It really is. So I, I was in seminary at Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, Maryland, which is only about 10 miles south of there. And um, yeah, we a lot of the seminarians spend a lot of time at Gettysburg. Uh, the, it's the closest town, such as it yes. is a town, uh, but also just the battlefield's incredible. So, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, there were just so many things I didn't know about, mm-hmm. about the, uh, um, like, from the, the start, we were touring the museum, and there's like this 42-foot tall, 370-foot-long painting. It's all, it's a circular thing. And I thought, oh, that's kind of neat. They've got this little diorama sort of stuff and it's like well this is no this is the actual restored painting from the late 1800s and i'm thinking okay this just got a lot more impressive (laughs) you know or standing at uh in the national cemetery where lincoln gave the gettysburg address or Mm -hmm. looking over where those southerners where the uh, had to charge for pickett's charge it's just uh, all of those things were it was an experience yeah standing there a little round top looking looking out across and yeah it's it is it's it's so well preserved um and it just they do such a good job of telling the story of that incredible battle Uh, we actually did an episode on the history of catholics in that area how catholics first came to gettysburg and how how gettysburg kind of became a city and then during the battle saint francis xavier church which is on high street south of downtown had been used as a field hospital um, and some of the wounded, um, because it was North and South wounded who were brought there, because the battlefields are all around the town. Very little fighting happened in the city, of course. So, you know, when they were when they were bringing wounded in, they weren't really discriminating. You know, you can't go here, you can't go there. Just like we got wounded, let's bring them in. Um, but the uh, St. Francis Xavier Church was used as a field hospital for three months after the battle, before they finally got all the wounded out. Some were just too wounded to move. Um, but then it remained uh, too damaged for usage because of just all the blood and gore and damage and the pews were ripped out and everything for not another three months. So it was a full six months before that church could be used for, for mass again. Um, but the, you know, the people, the people did an amazing job. The, um, 
the, the sisters who came into town to help out, the sisters of uh, charity from Emmitsburg, mother, the Mother Seton sisters came up and did a phenomenal job as nurses. And um, anyway, yeah, there's so just it's a phenomenal place to, to visit and walk around, experience it all. Wow. Well, I was going to ask you, Stephen, if you knew of any Catholic connections with the landmarks. And we got that from yeah. our guest today, Tom and Noel Crow of the American Catholic History Podcast, some, one of my favorites for a long time. It's really an honor to have you all here. Welcome to the Colby Cast. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you. Yes, thank you for having us. You're welcome. You're welcome. I, I've mentioned before my affinity for audiobooks. I um, When our homeschool era began, it, this is our sixth year homeschooling, and we were doing history as a homeschool course. I supplemented the Colby texts that we used with the audiobook version of The Story of Civilization by Philip Campbell. And when we got through all that, I went looking for more history resources on audio to continue that trend. And I found your podcast, American Catholic History, and it's been a great supplement or anytime listen for us. And so it's really a treat <laughs> to get to talk to you guys today and, and introduce you to our listeners who might not yet be familiar with you guys, not yet fans of your podcast, but today's the day. So fantastic. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, that's so great to hear because that is actually one of our goals for our podcast. And, and one thing we would love to be able to do is get that in the hands of more homeschoolers to use as a supplement. And eventually when we have the time and the, the financial support, we would love to actually create some more resources around, around our podcast for you. So that's great to hear that it's been a good resource for you. Good. Yes, it's been great. And I listen to them. I, I listen to them on my own too, and we're not all together. So it's been, it's at the top of my list. So great. for listeners who aren't familiar with you though, would you tell us a bit about yourselves and your backgrounds? Sure, sure. So uh, well, Tom and I live in Steubenville and um, I got married five years ago. So just a couple of years before we started the podcast and um, I had, I'm actually from Massachusetts originally, but then had lived down in the Northern Virginia area, worked for the Arlington diocese and my background. Well, actually it's funny. I've gone back and forth. I have a, a an MBA and a, a master's in theology. So I've okay. gone back and forth between doing business and catechesis. Um, but I spent a lot of time in catechesis actually discovered the catechesis of the good shepherd when I was in Virginia and working as a DRE and through that then got into Montessori. So I, I'm actually an AMI trained Montessori guide. And Tom and I, in addition to the podcast, we actually started our own Montessori school here in Steubenville. So, so we do that as well as the podcast. Um, just a few things. Yeah. yeah. Just a yeah. few just things. Yeah. Stuff. Okay. <laughs> I had no idea. Poor Tom. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't know what he was getting into when he married me. <laughs> I don't know my well, that, ideas. that goes both ways. <laughs> That's true. Okay. So anyways, Tom and I, though, so I'll let Tom pick it up from here, but we actually both lived. So two interesting things. We both lived in the Northern Virginia area for eight years, but we only overlapped by six months and we didn't meet until we had both moved from there. Um, and we're also both named after our grandfathers, so. Oh, those are fun. A of interesting, yeah. Like she's that. named after yeah. her, her her mother's father. I'm named after my father's father. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, so uh, my background, so I mentioned I was in seminary. I, I was in seminary for three years from 2005 to 2008 for the Diocese of Arlington. And um, uh, when I left that, I came, I moved to Steubenville. Uh, had a job at Franciscan University for 12 years, worked in marketing and research, but or marketing and um, website, social media, that sort of thing. But history was always sort of something that I was interested in. 
And uh, actually, the part of how this got started, and this will get into, I'm sure, one of your other questions, but um, in 2013, uh, Emily Stimson, Emily mm -hmm. Chapman, mm -hmm. she's an old friend of mine from my time down in D.C. I was down there from 2000 to 2008. Um, she moved here to Steubenville in 2002, and I moved here in 2008 when I left seminary, moved in with a friend of mine who lived here in town. And Emily asked me one day um, if I would be the researcher for a book she was commissioned to write, The American Catholic Almanac. And I said, well, you know, I'm interested in research. I'm interested in history and I'm Catholic. So sure, I had not much knowledge about American Catholic history, but um, it's like, how hard can it be? Well, <laughs> um, so my job was to find a story a day for every single day of the year in the history of Catholics in America, anything from, you know, the founding of the Diocese of Baltimore to, you know, when Newt Rockne became Catholic uh, and everything in between. And to find, a, find a, a place to put each of these things on the calendar, which, of course, became the challenge because a lot of things are on the same day or there's nothing on a day. Um, but that's so that's how I got into it. Uh, and I'm Irish. We love telling stories uh, and, and getting into telling stories. And also, I, I've always found storytelling and analogies to be the way that I um, I teach. And so just uh, those, those have been the, the strongest ways for me when I when I, when I teach. And um, uh, then when no Noelle and I got married in 2017, and one of my tendencies was always, hey, I will, um, something will come up and I'll say, oh my gosh, that reminds me of this story. Have you heard the one about? Sometimes it's a joke, but frequently it's a story. And eventually Noelle, who's like, yes, I've heard that. Yes, I've heard that. Okay, here's a new one. <laughs> um, well, she eventually, she was like, hey, that's a podcast. But um, yeah, so that's that's kind of the background here. We, um, hmm. You're from Youngstown. I'm from Youngstown, just up the road. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so that was part of why you didn't came back really. To yeah, my parent, my parent, parents are still in Youngstown, <laughs> nice. so it's yeah about about an hour north of here, and uh, so it was yeah coming back to Ohio was a bit of a homecoming for me, okay. and um, yeah, so a bit of background. Okay, well that book is uh, has a pride of place on a shelf here in our house. We really enjoy that. That's a, a favorite Great. book of ours here. So that's fantastic. I, yeah, make that connection. Yeah, it's been a great one. So I don't think I can name one favorite episode of your show. Um, but a few that come to mind for me, because I'll get ready because I've got a list I'm, and I had to stop myself. I'll, I'll keep it to Frank Capra, Father Mill Capen, Gene Krantz, because I'm a space program buff, uh, Blessed Stanley Rother, and the Loretto Staircase in Santa Fe, which I had the privilege of seeing as a college student. I thought that was really amazing. But I'll stop there. But I instead want to highlight the breadth of topics, or people really, that y'all cover. Everyone from canonized saints to historical figures to actors, sports stars, pillars of society, and less well-known folks. Not all of them yet recognized as a church as now residing in the halls of heaven, but, but each influenced somehow by Catholicism or their Catholic faith. So you hinted at it already as some of the beginnings of your podcast, but could you tell us how it kind of went from the impetus of the idea to, to what it is now? So I'll I'll talk about the topics. Noelle can probably she can tell the story of how it um, kind of the mechanics of how it came to be, because she was the one who really made it happen. Okay. Um, I'm I'm the writer. She's the ideas person. I guess right. is the way to, one way to put it. Right. So um, as far as uh, as far as how we pick topics and the creative process, I mean, you you really did touch on something that's very important to why we do it and how we do it. Um, 
so one lesson that I, one of the biggest takeaways I had when I was doing that book, and this, this was the thing that blew me away, was the number and breadth of, and breadth, breadth and depth in so many different ways of the impact of Catholics on this country. So um, you, 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 you listed a number of them, sports figures, politicians, scientists, educators, founders, you name the walk of life, people who are just parents going about their lives, mystics, um, the, the number of areas of this country physically, you know, geographically, uh, culturally, temperamentally, politically, artistically, all those, I mean, the number of places where Catholics have had a profound impact just blew me away. And the number of them who made an impact on this country in, by, you know, solely because of their love of Christ. Some of them, they were sort of incidentally Catholic and it had a little bit of effect on their life. Like Newt Rockney, he's, I, I mentioned him earlier. You know, he became Catholic because of the faith of the Notre Dame football players. Uh, that's what, he, he was a devout Lutheran. Um, or he was Lutheran. I'm not sure how devout he was, but um, he became Catholic because of the example of his his Notre Dame football players. But now he's he's his cultural icon, and he died with a rosary in his hand. He went down in a plane crash, and he died with a rosary in his hand. Uh, so you know, what to what degree did his Catholic faith have an impact on things around him? Well, not as big as someone's like say John Carroll, the first bishop of Baltimore. But you know, just that that cultural impact. Uh, but the number of people, like uh, just just to name a few names that most listeners probably wouldn't know of, but like Sister Blandina, um, Venerable Nelson Baker, uh, Pierre de Smet, who a lot of the country would know of, but uh, but most people wouldn't. Um, one of my favorites, Benedict Joseph Flaget, who was bishop first bishop of Bardstown in Kentucky, um, Simon Brute. John Dubois, third, the third bishop of New York, who is he's buried under the flagstones walking into the old cathedral, the old St. Patrick's Cathedral in, in lower Manhattan, because he said he was the only he, to this day, he's the only non-Irishman to be bishop of New York, bishop or archbishop of New York. But he said, as before he died, he said, when you when I die, bury me under the path coming into the cathedral. You walked over me in life. You shall walk over me in death. <laughs> and, it, it, so, and so they did. Um, but he was an incredibly holy man, and um, this is a man who he fled the French Revolution. He was he was spirited out of Paris because of his relationship. He was school chums with Robespierre. One of his parishioners in Paris was the wife of Lafayette, so he had letters from Lafayette to recommend him to Patrick Henry and James Monroe when he came over. He lived in James Monroe's house, learned English from Patrick Henry, offered mass in the state house in Richmond. This was in the uh, 1792-ish. 17, 17, uh, then he, he gets sent by Bishop Carroll north toward Frederick, Maryland, and then he goes up to Emmitsburg, where he founds Mount St. Mary's, the second seminary in the country. And um, he helps Mother Seton establish the Sisters of Charity. He reluctantly accepted John Hughes, this character named John Hughes to be a seminarian only because Mother Seton insisted that he accept John Hughes <laughs> as a seminarian at Mount St. Mary's. He goes to New York and he's the third bishop of New York, who is then succeeded by John Hughes, who is one of the most significant churchmen in the history of the country. But people don't really know about John Dubois. There's, but that's, that's just one story. There's so many of these, as you know, from listening to the podcast, and I get very passionate about it. And this is part of why we have to script it, because otherwise I'd, I'd go on these, <laughs> these sort of rants, because it's just it's such amazing stuff. The, the, the line I use 
and those heard all of this before, the line I use is, you know, we, we as Catholics in America, we don't need to cross an ocean, any, any international boundary to find amazing people who did amazing things for Christ. We have them right here. We really do. Um, and they're all over from sea to shining sea, Alaska, Hawaii, we have them all over. And we, we have such a rich history here that, and we have no idea what we have. It's a tragedy. And that's what we're trying to change. I think it fills such a need to highlight the contributions of Catholics to the American, to American history, when for many of us, it has, those have been either footnotes or omitted from the history that we've learned along the way. So to be, have this resource to, to fill in this depth of, of richness, that's, it's just amazing. So now all my kids are enrolled in Colby's online history courses. We started out doing the homeschool side. Now they're all online. And this year, the eighth graders are using the American Venture, which is a brand new textbook from the Catholic Textbook Project. Uh, and when I learned about that new textbook, I thought of your podcast and thought the timing was just right to, to talk about both. And um, as an aside, the, the homeschool course plans for that new textbook are in the works for next school year, 23-24. And for now, those the, on the homeschool side are still using Light to the Nations Part 2, which is another Catholic textbook project book. So anyway, I'm very cur curious to hear about your process and, and all your logistics, Noel. Would you take us through those? Um, okay, so first, I guess the question, you'd ask the question about how we actually started the podcast. Yep. Um, so I had been, yeah, like Tom said, he he would just say, oh, this reminds me of this story or whatever. And and I, um, Emily was actually a point of contact for us. Actually, it was through her that we met because Tom was friends with her. And I also knew her and it, it took a little while, but eventually we met. So I knew about the almanac as well. So when Tom would tell the stories, you know, I had read them and I I known about the process of the almanac being made and everything. Though I had never met Tom during that process. Um, so yeah, I would say, you know, I've been listening while I drive, you know, I listen to podcasts. I'm like, this is, this is a podcast. This could be made into a podcast. And it took a while to convince him that that's what we should do. Um, <laughs> but really what convinced him, my friend, uh, Don Battinelli, who was another person that I went to school here in Steubenville at Franciscan University. We went to school together and he and his wife and family came to stay overnight with us on the way to Kentucky, actually. And I knew that he had been involved with podcasts and some other things. He had worked for the Archdiocese of Boston. So, you know, he lives back in, in Boston where I'm from. So while we were at a dinner, I just asked him, so what do you think of this idea? I wasn't asking really to like, you know, for him to do a lot of help, just sort of, what did he think? Like, did he have some suggestions for how to start? Um, and then that's when I found out, I actually didn't realize he had left and was now working for the SQPN network and it was their CEO. I, I hadn't realized that he had made that, that complete switch. So he, by the, you know, we left dinner and drove home and they drove home separately. And by the time we got back home, he said, you know, if you make us a demo, I think our board would be interested in picking up your podcast. Oh, nice. So we were like, wow, you know, that's amazing. <laughs> yes. So we're, we're really, really grateful to SUPN for helping us get started, for, you know, helping us get our foot in the door of how to do this podcasting thing. Um, and it took us a little while to kind of put together what was our format, how is it going to work and everything. But, you know, with Dom's help, eventually we came to you know, what, what you get on a, on a 
weekly or right now for the summer, we've been taking a little bit of step back and doing a bi-weekly, uh, bi-weekly episodes um, in the podcast. But what Tom was talking about in terms of, or what you were also talking about in terms of the breadth of what we do, we do that very intentionally. When we sit down and talk about, well, what's the next topic or what are the next two or three topics we want to start researching and looking at? we really do think about, okay, we haven't done somebody from out West for a while. We should make sure we get somebody out there and what stories can we find? And, you know, or, you know, we haven't talked about, you know, women for a while. have been kind of more some priests that we've been talking about. Let's make sure we try and find a, a you know, a story about, about women or a particular woman, you know, can we find somebody who's a scientist? Can we find somebody who is, a sports figure. We we do tie it a little bit to to um, the times of the year. So if you'll notice, pretty much I think every April we've done a baseball figure because it's April and that's when base you know baseball is starting. Um, so other times, right around uh, Memorial Day, we'll often do a chaplain. I think we've pretty much we've done uh, chaplains, and you talked about Father Capen. We did his story around Memorial Day. Um, so, so we use those things as well to kind of think there's a Marian feast day coming up. Can we talk about something Marian, you know, in the country, just, just, you know, what, what can we talk about around those things? That kind of helps us kind of structure a little bit. Um, and then we get suggestions, listeners send us suggestions of, of stories or in conversations. And then we go look them up and say, Hey, that's a really cool story. We could, we could do something with this and turn it into a story. So we're always really grateful for the listeners to send us suggestions of things that we could talk about. And then just random stories. You read something and you go, hmm, that person, like this sounds like there might be some Catholicism in there. Let me go take a look and see what I can find. And, you know, and then we find an, an interesting uh, story that way. So there's just a variety of ways that we figure out what topic we want to do. Um, Tom is, I think, as he mentioned before, the, the main writer. Um, I will try to find some resources, put some things together for him. Um, sometimes he just like jumps on it and starts doing that himself. And he does the main writing for, for everything. And then I get to, I get to edit it and make my comments. And <laughs> I, I often will put in like, you know, you put in your part here, like in our, the, the episode we just recorded the other night. Uh, it's it's actually about something down in Northern Virginia. It's a it's um, St. Mary of Sorrows Parish in Fairfax Station, and um, since both of us spent time living in the area, uh, I knew what I was going to say about my personal experience there. It's one of the places I spent a, a summer as a seminarian, and um, then for her, I just put in brackets. You know, tell us how tell us your personal involvement here. Yeah. So, but <laughs> <It's> often, but, <laughs> but he also writes he also writes in for me like you like say ha ha you're so crazy or whatever well <laughs> when it works He's like i know you're gonna say that so here it's already written in for you <laughs> but but ad-libbing is part of the game ad-libbing is part of the game so it's like you know this it's it's you know it's kind of like uh, you know it's like this or similar words you know so yeah sometimes but but we do really in order to do a podcast that's telling a story and that you're keeping it really tight and keeping it within that, you know, hopefully that 20 minute period um, in order to get, you know, all the details in to make sure it flows. You really do have to have it scripted because yeah. if we just sat down and we're like, well, let's just tell you the story. You end up with 
so many ums and pauses and trying to recall the details and you know yeah that also a whole lot of like oh i forgot to say this yeah unless you practice it many times which which when you're doing a weekly podcast and telling a story every week you don't have time to do um yeah you just really need it to be be written out for you to to tell but we're still telling a story so we're still even though it's written for us we're still yeah. You know, telling a story and making sure that that's not just a monotone reading, but we're telling it. Yeah. So. One, of, one of the most, I won't say one of the most common, but one thing we've heard a lot is that people appreciate that we don't do a lot of like inside baseball talk. We don't do a lot of in, you know, personal chatter and whatnot. We just get right to the topic. And that's, that's partly the nature of our podcast. You know, we're, we're not doing a conversational thing where it's like, look, like this. You know, we, we don't do an interview conversation sort of a thing as our podcast. We we tell a story and it's it's very tight. And this like we get in, we tell the story, we get out. There's just a, a minimum amounts of make, uh, make it personal if that applies, um, but keep it to what it needs to be. No more and, you know, no less. Um, but keep, yeah, keep it tight. Keep it interesting. Make it personal if you can. And then um, keep people interested. Yes. So, well, thank you. <laughs> Yes, but we do, speaking of those, these kind of interviews, though, we do do another series that is a video uh, series called American Catholic History Conversations, where we get to talk to subject matter, matter experts at that point and have discussions with them about, you know, going a little bit more in depth into some of the things that we talk about on the podcast. So we do do that. That's a series for our subscribers or, or our supporters, people are supporting us it, uh, monetarily, but we also put little clips up on our social media as well for people to just get a little little taste of that. So those are also available for people as a, something extra. Got a lot going on. I would imagine if it's hard for me to pick, I can only imagine how much more difficult it would be for you to pick. Do you have any standout episodes or people you've featured? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, to tell you the truth, what you're saying is so true. Every single episode we do pretty much, we're like, this episode was so great. This mm -hmm. is like my favorite ever, right? <laughs> um, for me, one of my favorites, and Tom mentioned her before, that we talked about, and it was actually the first person we did two episodes on was Sister Blandina Sagali. She has such a fun story, and she was just such an amazing can-do person. Um, so we did our first episode on her life out West because she was a sister of charity from, uh, from Cincinnati and actually came right after her vows, came here to teach in Steubenville for a year before she found out she was being assigned to Trinidad, which she was really excited about until she found out that it was Trinidad, Colorado, um, <laughs> which is actually kind of the point where the Santa Fe Trail turns south when you're going out West. Um, so anyway, so she, she served out in Trinidad, Colorado, uh, just, uh, you know, she was, I don't even know if she was five foot tall. She was 22 years old, went out by herself and, you know, did things like she needed the school rebuilt because it was in disrepair and nobody was doing it. So she's like, all right, well, I'll do it myself. And of course, eventually her people are like, oh, you shouldn't do that. So they came to, they came and started help, helping her. And, um, she, you know, made friends with Billy the Kid and basically stopped lynching in their town and then eventually went down to Albuquerque 
where she worked in the diocese to, again, build schools, build hospitals. And she was just really forward thinking. She had them put in gas lines. Was it pipes? Gas lines. Yeah. I was going to say for running water, but also gas lines, even Mm -hmm. though they didn't have that available to them yet. When they built the hospital there, she had them put it in so that it would be ready when it came. Um, So, and then, and then after all that out there, she came back, uh, she came back East and worked with her sister. They, they started um, an organization for Italian immigrants to, to help them as they were coming. So it was sort of a social services thing with language classes and helping them get jobs and, and have community and other things. But then she, then she went and became um a, what what was the word but basically she became a probation um, officer essentially yes th- yes exactly thank you uh probation officer so that children or youth who got in trouble could be remanded to her care right. um instead of somebody else so you know it's just little italian nun is and then it's like what 70 70 something old. she learned how to drive a car because <laughs> cars because she come had around. to yeah it's like, it's I time just, to learn yeah. how to drive a car now. So 75 years yeah. old with sight that probably wasn't very good anymore. She learned how to drive a car. Um, she was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just, yeah, just a phenomenal person. And we were super excited because the um, Santa Fe, they opened her cause. And so now she's a servant of God. And so we're, we're, whenever somebody that we like, just think is amazing, then they, you know, we find out that their cause was, it was open very, fairly recently. Um it's just, it's just super exciting. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. so I'll say that. And then there's one other uh, person whose cause is not opened, which Tom and I both think is a tragedy, um, is a priest down in Birmingham, Alabama named um, Father Coyle. And he uh, was actually shot on his porch uh, at point blank range by um, a Protestant minister who was extremely anti-Catholic and was part of the KKK. And the, this minister, uh, he shot him because the uh, father Coyle had married this minister's daughter to a, a Catholic. His daughter had converted to Catholicism and then he had married her to a Puerto Rican Catholic. And so this man came and shot him. Then he went to the courthouse, turned himself in. Um, it took a while for, the, for an indictment to come down because this was all kind of, everything was all kind of run by the KKK. Eventually it did. They had a trial um, and he was acquitted because everybody from the judge through many of the jury members were all KKK members. Um, But this actually kind of ended the hold of the KKK in that, you know, in that area because so many people were horrified by what had happened. So um, another figure who just uh, not a lot of people know about, but uh, he should be known more, and yeah. we are really hoping that uh, eventually one day we'll see his his name on a cause for canonization that's opened up. So, yeah, I I can't say that I. I mean, if I had to pick some of my favorites, um, I I would go back to our very first episode, uh, and she's mm. she's the one that I I talk about a lot. Her name's Margaret Hari. Uh, she's she's a similar story on some ways to sister Blandina, but she stayed in, she's basically stayed in one city. She was an Irish immigrant. And um, shortly after coming over, all of her family, except one of her brothers died of cholera and that brother abandoned her. So at like nine years old, she was living with this 
woman who is Welsh woman who had been on the ship that her family came over with. Uh, and she stayed as basically an indentured servant in that woman's house until she was old enough to marry. And then she married a man, uh, another Irish immigrant, his name by the last name of Barry. And they lived in Baltimore for a short time. And then he was sick, so they had to move to New Orleans because apparently they thought the, the weather in New Orleans would be better for a person with tuberculosis. Okay. Go figure. <laughs> anyway, so they, they had a daughter. And shortly thereafter, he died. Her husband died. Um, he, he, well, he went back to Ireland thinking the sea voyage would help him, which, of course, it didn't. He died on the voyage. And then, like, a few months later, her daughter died. So she, she's lost all of her family a second time, and she's alone in New Orleans, and she's working as a washerwoman, and she sees these kids in this orphanage across the street, the Ursuline Orphanage across the street, who are playing, and she says, okay, I'm going to help them out. So she buys, a, she buys a cow and provides the milk, and whatever milk she doesn't have to provide, she sells. She ends up being so good at selling milk that she's able to buy. Eventually, she has a herd of cows, and she becomes the milkmaid of New Orleans. She makes a lot of money at that. And then she has so much money, this guy comes along and says, hey, my bakery is sort of going under. Can I get a loan? She says, sure. So she gives him this loan, and then his, he, he, his bakery starts to fail again. So she takes it over, and she becomes such a well-known baker that she becomes known as the breadwoman of New Orleans, and people completely forgot about her, a very successful milk, milk and, and cheese business. But through it all, she was a major benefactor of all kinds of charities, to us, especially orphanages and schools and things for kids. Major benefactor of all of these. No one had any idea how much money she was giving away. During the Civil War, so she was in the, she came over in like 1820-ish. During the Civil War, she she because she went all over the city feeding people during the civil war uh of course the union t occupied new orleans pretty quickly and general butler who was in who was the the you know martial law is is instituted general butler is in charge he's the union general in charge and she gets arrested because she keeps going through the picket lines she's like you know what i don't care about your barricades those people need help i'm going over there so she, so she finally gets arrested and she's brought before general butler and general butler to, says to her something like you you're not supposed to be doing this she says well is it president lincoln's will that the people should starve what the heck and he says to her you are not too good to travel around the city without my permission you have my permission <laughs> That was the end of that. So okay. she's, like, she's like, I'm going to do it. You know, you can either shoot me or give me permission because I'm going to do it. And so she did. Um, when she died in the 18, uh, 1880s, I think like 1885, she died. When she died, um, it was considered a public calamity. The newspaper was edged in black. And on her coffin was a crucifix that was sent over by Pius IX because he regarded her so highly. And... And you forgot, you forgot she was the first woman to have yes. a public monument erected to her in the country. Wow. But it was small, it was small donations by a lot of different people, right, that they were able to put up this first public monument to in a year woman. year of her death. Mm -hmm. It was that well regarded. And all it says on it is Margaret. It's her sitting in a chair with, a, like, with her arm around a child who's standing next to her and just says Margaret because it's all, it's all that was needed. Everybody knew who she was. Um, the only other person I'll mention is the only person who is interred in the Cathedral Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Denver, and that is Julia Greeley. Mm -hmm. This woman was phenomenal. She was a, she was a slave who was freed 
and this she was in Missouri, and she moved to Colorado with the family. So after she was freed, she worked as a servant with his family in, in St. Louis. She moved to Denver with the family when they moved there and um, remained as a servant. But every Friday, she would go around with her little red wagon. She was known for her little red wagon. Every, every first Friday, was it every Friday or just every first Friday? First Fridays. First Fridays, yeah. Sacred Heart Devotion. She'd go around yep. with materials for the, for the Sacred Heart Devotion to all of the firehouses because she so valued the service of firemen. It's like these people will give their life to save you in a fire. So she wanted to make sure they had the devotion of the Sacred Heart. But that's just a small thing she did. Whenever she heard somebody needed something, she would make it her business to make sure they got it. She would go to the wealthy, the, the girls from wealthy families and say, when you're done with those nice dresses, give them to me and I'll fix whatever tears they have so I can give them to the poor girls so that they have nice dresses for the dances too. She was seen carrying mattresses around. She was a little tiny old black woman, but she, was, she would carry mattresses around or, or, or like if somebody needed a stroller, somehow she'd get her hands on a stroller and bring it to the people who needed a stroller. Uh, there was a couple who couldn't have a baby and she prayed with them and said, you'll have a baby next year. And they did. Oh um actually and this was all so one of the this is so an example of when this is why we script it forgot about something <laughs> when she was a child before she was freed from slavery her mother was being whipped and she was standing there witnessing this and the whip missed and caught her right in the eye mm. and it was never uh, never treated properly and it was never healed properly um so it, it, it she had a, like a weeping eye her entire life she was constantly carrying a towel to daub at it um, but she never complained. When she died, it was a massive funeral at the Sacred Heart Church. That was her big devotion. Sacred Heart Church in Denver, massive funeral. And the common refrain was, I, had, I, I thought I was the only person she helped. She would actually only bring charity to white families during the night so that they were not seen receiving charity from a black woman. She was so conscientious of that, which of course, you know, we look at that now like well she shouldn't have had to but you know in, in that day that that was the case um but she was so conscientious of that she was so sensitive to it she's amazing she is is she is she blessed yet Can't, no no she i'm she's got to be better <laughs> anyway servant, servant of god servant still. Of god. yes um but no she was phenomenal yes she is buried at the cathedral yeah in denver um and tom left out with all of her amazing devotion to the Sacred Heart, she actually died on the face of the Sacred Heart. Oh, wow. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She just collapsed. So, she was going from here to there and just collapsed in the street. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, amazing. yeah, that's another amazing story. We have so many of them. <laughs> I'm surprised Noelle didn't mention her grandfather, which we... Uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we did his story on um, around June 6th of last year. Uh, he was hero of D-Day and a very, very devout Catholic. So, oh. yeah, we're filling up our queue very quickly of episodes <laughs> to check out. <laughs> and uh, for Colby families living in these areas, you've got field trips you could take to. Check oh, out DC! Anybody going to the DC area? If you if you go to the Washington Monument, you don't see them anymore because no one goes on the actual stairs. But inside the Washington Monument, there are all these stones that came from states and countries and whatnot, that, uh, and, and civic organizations, and they're, they're inscribed. That was a fundraising campaign by the um, committee that built the Washington Monument back in the 18, uh, 1850s, 40s, when they were trying to raise the money. And then after the Civil War, uh, when they finally completed it, one of the stones donated came from Pius IX, 
and it said the the Latin um, aroma Americae, Americae, uh from from Rome to America, and because Pius IX wanted to honor the great man Washington, who I believe became Catholic on his deathbed. There's evidence. Um, this, this very, I was going to ask you about that. Highly suggestive. Yes, highly suggestive evidence. There's no proof. But there's highly suggestive evidence. But um, yeah, so Pius IX donated this stone. It comes over. The know-nothings, these anti-Catholics, like, well, we can't have this. Uh, this is a sign that the Pope's going to take over America and make it his new Vatican. And this is going to become... They really believed this stuff. Um, so they, they broke into the shed, they stole the stone, they busted it up, they chucked it into the Potomac, and the original has never been found, or parts of it have been found. Anyway, so if you go to the Washington Monument, there are all these, so um, they are there. John Paul II did actually send over a replacement in the early 80s. So there is a stone from the Pope that says Aroma Americe inside the Washington Monument, but it isn't the original, it's the one John Paul sent over. But yeah, so you're going to ask about that. Um, what's, what's your specific question? Well, I, I just wanted to see if you had heard that or if you had thoughts about that. I know one of my wife's siblings had been visiting Mount Vernon and they had a rosary there at the side of his bed and this, so they were asking about that. But then, you know, comments about going up the river to like to a, I think that was right, to a monastery or something that was just in the area. And um, yeah. So... Yeah, the so he he was good friends with the Carols, John and Charles and Daniel. Of course, Charles signed the Declaration of Independence. Daniel signed the Constitution. John was the first bishop of Baltimore. Um, he was good friends with them, and he actually had in his private chambers uh, an image of the Blessed Mother that had been given to him by the Carols hanging on the wall. Um, he was very good friends with Catholics. He, by tradition, made the first donation to St. Mary's Church, now St. Mary's Basilica in Alexandria, the first Catholic church in Virginia. He um, And that was at a St. Patrick's Day dinner at the home of John Fitzgerald, who had been one of his aides-de-camp during the Revolutionary War. Um, he was very favorable toward Catholics and actually um, ended the practice of Pope Night, which was the American version of Guy Fawkes Night, uh, now that some people could say, well, that, that was politics. We were trying to get the Canadians on our side, but like the, the 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 phraseology he used wasn't just "you idiots." This is bad diplomacy. It really was like, "Don't offend them. They're they're good people." And, and then also, and this is very significant, on his deathbed, he did request that a man of the cloth come, but he didn't request an Anglican priest. He sent for a Jesuit priest from across the Potomac. And now in our episode about this, I think I said it was Leonard Neal, because I didn't realize there were about four or five Neals who were priests in the Jesuits in that area at the time. Um, Leonard Neal was the second, second Archbishop of Baltimore. Uh, he succeeded John Carroll. But one of his, it might have been him, might have been one of his brothers, but one of the Neal brothers went over and ministered to George Washington on his deathbed. And the tradition within the Maryland Jesuits, this is back when you could still trust them, was that he did in fact convert on his deathbed. So um, that's the tradition. Now there's no contemporary definite proof, and that's easy to you know it's easy to explain because who'd believe them? And also it's not necessary to hold on to the proof. You know it's between him and God. But um, yeah, so I mean there's no proof, but I I believe it. That's that's really good. Yeah. Let's go back and pick that one up. So. He had lots of Catholics, and like one of a few of his a few of his major um, assistants, like Casimir uh, Pulaski, was uh, a, a Prussian, not Prussian, Polish. Excuse me, very different Polish cavalry officer 
who was brilliant, but also very, very loose cannon sort. But he was he was a brilliant cavalry officer. He came over and he was very important in helping the Americans uh, win the Revolutionary War. Of course, Lafayette, uh, who was a questionable Catholic, but he was Catholic. Um, there were a number of other Catholics. Um, he had he had at least one more Catholic aide de camp. Even Moylan. Yes, Moylan. Um, so no, he had a lot of Catholics around him during the Revolutionary War. Uh, so yeah, I I believe it. I did not get that story when I was taking American <laughs> history as a high schooler. So, <laughs> but that's the point. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So it's fascinating. We actually did do an episode on that with the uh, you know George Washington Catholic question mm-hmm. mark, just kind of looking at some of that that evidence and the possibility. So. Share that with my with my son here. We'll have to listen to that together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the episode on the Pope Stone that was really interesting. I listened to that one here recently. Yeah, that's a mm-hmm. fascinating story. Right up to the present day, they still don't know for certain what happened. But it's like, well, there was this barkeeper who eventually told somebody before he died. Da, 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 like, interesting. So mm-hmm. yeah. So this is just me asking, getting all sorts of interesting uh, ideas. Do, do you have anything on the? Mary appearing to Andrew Jackson. No, mm-hmm. but we also haven't done Andrew Jackson going. Uh, so Andrew Jackson, of course, um, he attributed his victory in the Battle of New Orleans at the end of the War of 1812 to the prayers of the Ursula nuns down there in New Orleans. And after that victory, he went back to them and said, told them, thank you for your prayers. You are the reason we won. But I, I was, I actually had not heard about that. So I will, I'm going to jot that down. I think she appeared to spare, uh, to protect something, or, or I, I, I can't remember the exact details of it. But that's, I've heard that's that that happened at least. Oh, that's, mm, I had not heard I'm that. I'm going to write that down. Go. All right. Mm-hmm. So I think these are all great illustrations of how the contributions of Catholics to our American history, they're great and many and varied, and there are so many more than we, most of us know about. So you're bringing so many of them to light. Um, what do you think about in our present day, the the relevance and the importance to us today, thinking about our homes, our Colby families and hearing these stories and, and learning American history and the Catholic role in it? So I have, I have two thoughts. We actually did, um, talking about our conversations that we do, we did one with um, Dr. Matthew Brenninger, who is a a psychology professor on campus at Francis University, and he also has his own practice as well. And we did it about actually sort of that topic, knowing your history and why it's important to know your history and the importance of being rooted in your identity for your your self-health, actually. Um, he he actually talked about if you have people can only deal with so many um, choices and if we have too many choices it's actually a lack of freedom we actually get stuck and we can't um, we can't move and so part of knowing our history and knowing our Catholic history in America is actually knowing who we are as Catholics who our family is and you know, for good or bad, who those people are. And and we hope that through our stories, people can feel a sense of pride or a sense of this is who, this is who we are. This is what I come from. Um, and I can be proud of that. So I think that's really important. And then the other, other thing that I think of, and, and I kind of talk about this a lot, but um, John Paul II, 
had a post-synodal exhortation called Ecclesia in America. And he was talking to both North and South America. But essentially, at the beginning of that document, he said, Americans, get to know your own saint. Get to know the people who have been holy right where you are. And so it's really important for us to not just, you, you know, it's great to have devotions to saints that are from, you know, France. We we're talking about the connection between St. Therese Little Flower and Americans, which is a really interesting, surprising connection um, earlier today. But, you know, and it's great to have a devotion to St. Therese and, you know, in France or some of the Italian saints or whatever. It's, it's, absolutely great but it's also really important that we get to know and discover and develop devotions to our own saints who lived and worked right here where we are as well you know who 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 built where we are who know the terrain who who were part of the culture that that we are part of now um and so i hope that you know as we tell stories that people will discover somebody like a sister landina or like a julia greeley um, who's somewhere on that path to sainthood and, and we'll start to develop devotions to them, um, to our own local saints. So. Yeah, and to, to expand a bit on something she was saying with, uh, with what uh, Matt Bruninger said, so what, and she touched on this, but um, in, in order to be able to, to go out and experience new things and experiment with new things and learn new things and be comfortable in doing so, you have to know where you're from. You have to have that foundation in who you are, where you came from, so that you have a frame of reference and you have a comfort base to go out and say, okay, and this is part of the choices she was talking about. You know, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're so, if you don't have that foundation, then you need to figure out what it is. So then you have that whole range of choices, if you will, of am I this, am I this, am I this? Depending on, one of, on what I am among those things, that would change the way I interact with that thing over there. And of course, you know, we see this somewhat in uh, or the problems with not having a firm foundation in a lot of the, the confusion in gender ideology and um, a lot of the, the different uh, confusions we're seeing in, in society these days where people don't know what they are because everything is on the table. Um, and nothing's grounded in reality anymore. But it's only when you really have a sense of who you actually are, and where you come from, that you then have the foundation and the comfort level to go out and experience other things and try other things um, and have a frame of reference to interpret other things. Uh, and that, you know, and then having that foundation, you're able to say, okay, you know, what's good, what's not good, um, what works, what doesn't, and why. Also to riff on, on what Noel was saying a bit, since we have such a tremendous um, heritage in this country, we have so many people. So many of the so many of our major cities were founded by Catholics. Catholics were involved in tons of things. One of the last things Charles Carroll did before he died, his last public event was laying the cornerstone for the B and O Railroad. Wow. He was one of the trustees to establish the B and O Railroad. So the man who was the only Catholic to sign the Declaration of Independence, the wealthiest man in the colonies at the time of the Revolution, which he was, from my research. Was, was the man who laid the cornerstone for the B&O Railroad, a very significant institution in our nation's history. So we can say, you know, we Catholics have a role to play. We have, we have had a role to play. We have been an integral part of this country since its founding. Our ideas, our, our doctrines, our ethos, our culture has been a significant part of forming this country. Uh, it, you know, it's still a, a predominantly Protestant culture. 
and foundation. But we Catholics have had a significant impact on it, and we need to remember that and then be able to say, here is, here's the, the contribution we can continue to bring. But we can't do that if we don't know our own history and we don't know who did these things and what they did and how they did it and what they said and who they influenced and how they influenced them and how they can continue to inspire and influence us. Um, so that's, yeah, yeah, that's that's sort of how we can do this and who we are and why we can, why we should, why we can, you know, redeeming the time, and redeeming the place, being salt and light, etc. So yeah. Here at Colby, we sometimes talk about embracing the fifth day, taking a day to, you know, outside of school to go do something interesting. And we've talked with people about like finding things in your area that you can go and see rather than, you know, thinking about making big trips. So this is just this is just clicking all, all of these things in my head here that that for our kids to be able to go to a local place and say, look, some of the stories you've told here, this is amazing Catholic person lived here it makes it so much more concrete in in the mind of a child that great catholics did great things right here in my backyard and like you're saying you don't have to go back to ancient rome or to uh, f f go across the ocean to experience that it's right here and you can actually see the places where they walked and you can see where they're buried you know yeah and it's, and it's not only it's not just people like sister blandina or julia greeley or even the bishops and other religious founders, we're talking we're talking scientists too. You know, there there are great scientists in this country. John von Neumann. Now you know some people may say, well, he wasn't one to you know tip your cap about because he helped. He was instrumental in the Manhattan Project, and um, he designed the trigger mechanism for the atomic bomb. Um, that was before he was Catholic, but uh, you know he he did come around at the end of his life on his deathbed. So he's he's one example. Then there's um, Sister Miriam Stimson, she was a Dominican sister who she, she developed the process that made it possible to see DNA. Like she wasn't the one who discovered DNA, um, but a, a discovery she made made it possible. Couldn't have happened without her discovery. Um, so there's another one, Gene Kranz. You mentioned Gene Kranz. He was so instrumental in making sure that we didn't have another, another disaster in mission control with the space program. Then you get into athletes. Roger Maris, people don't realize he was Catholic. Of course, Yogi Berra. It's funny, the only, the only baseball players we've done are prominent Yankees, one also being a prominent Red Sox with, in Babe Ruth. But um, uh, yeah, there, there are Catholics in all these other walks of life. Um, the one who wrote Trees, Joyce Kilmer. Kilmer. You know, he, he, yeah. was, he was a husband. He was a literary person. He was a poet. He was a soldier. He died heroically on the battlefield in France. Um, it, it isn't just religious figures. It's people just in all walks of life who brought their faith to bear on their life and their family life and their friendships. Um, salt and light, you know, wherever it is, wherever you are. I like how you tell their stories in a very relatable way. They, they seem you don't put the sheen on the story you show the hope throughout the the faith that they come to or have held on to throughout their lives that has either sustains them or is a turning point for them that makes it uh, yeah very uh it, it makes it seem attainable for people listening yes so yeah <laughs> we're catholic you know we, we recognize that we're all fall this is fallen humanity and we have confession and we have the sacraments and you know we, we're we're all fallible fallen human beings and we, that's part of the story 
The question isn't, have you sinned? Yes, you have. Everybody has except for Mary and Jesus. The only question is, what will you do about it? Yeah. You know, what will you let God do about it? Mm -hmm. That's the question. Um, and telling telling the people's stories with all of their warts is part, like you said, it's part of hope. You know, if, if, if you try and tell the story in a saccharine, sanitized sort of a way, you're completely missing the point. You know, it's, and we've, we've had some people tell us, hey, we, we like the way that you approach the slavery question, which is a major and very sticky question in the history of the country, of course, and certainly in the history of the Catholic Church in America, because different bishops took different approaches, and some of them were more laudable than others, but all of them were, you know, were considering um, the conditions of the time, which can be a bad thing, but it's also a necessary thing to, to a health, you know, in, in a healthy way. Um, you can't look at history and say, well, from, from a 2022 perspective, what that person did was evil because that person wasn't, wasn't operating in 2022. Um, so yeah, you have to look at these things as best as you can in context, try and understand them from their own perspective. Uh, and then of course, look at it all through, through the eyes of, of grace and redemption and, um, do your best to just see the humanity and tell the story and yeah, find the, the inspiring points. Quite successful at that. Well, thank you. Uh, for homeschooling families, you guys make it really easy to get out there and find local sites because your website has your episodes organized by state, so we can look up people who are close to us and maybe listen to the episode on the way there or before there, you know, before that, and just <laughs> kind of make a whole that it really kind of, at least for me, that would that would be a stepping stone. Like, okay, I could do that. You know, we found here's an idea, here's something to give us some background, and let's go do this not too far, or mm -hmm. keep an eye on this the progression of this person's cause for canonization or whatever. So it's been a, mm -hmm. a great tool, and, and it that's a little idea to kind of drop out there for yeah people who are looking to for something. Like yeah, that. that's that's great. We um, what we were talking before about getting to certain places or whatever. We lead pilgrimages also to certain yeah. places, and we did one to Kentucky last year, which was uh, amazing. It was such a great pilgrimage, and um, there's an area of Kentucky uh, right around Bardstown, which was one of the first dioceses broken out of of uh, Baltimore, and if you ever wondered why Bardstown, like I always did, well, come to the Kentucky Holy Land, you'll find out. Um, but one of the amazing things we were there, talking about being just being at those places, the first Trappist who came to the United States are buried in the churchyard of the first parish that's west of the Appalachians. Um, and the first Dominicans who came to the United States are buried at St. Rose Priory, which is their home in the United States. Actually, all Dominicans in the United States were first established in Kentucky and then branched out from there. And so to me, there was just something indescribable the feeling of being right at that place where these these first pioneers had brought the faith and had brought their particular charism their particular way that they lived out the faith within their communities had brought those to the united states it was it was just super powerful and when we're when we're on pilgrimage we do exactly what you were just talking about we play the episodes about the place we're going to as we're heading there so that everyone you know has a chance to listen to it and then you know has it fresh and can just really appreciate the history and and how that that place came to be to you know made it made it possible there so uh yeah that's really cool <laughs> yeah i was going to ask you about your pilgrimages i'm glad you said something about that do you have more you want to tell us about that what what's coming up maybe 
Yeah, so so coming up, we have a pilgrimage in or sort of a mini pilgrimage in um, in September. It's a pre-event to the National Conference for Single, Single Catholics. Catholics. Yeah. <laughs> they just changed the name. It was the um, National Catholic Singles Conference for many, many years. But they're in the process of changing to the National Cal National Conference for Single Catholics, which is it's like I got to rewire my brain to say it this way. <laughs> now you got to practice all over again. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Um, but that but that conference is going to be in the Northern Virginia area, right outside of Dulles Airport this year. So we're going to be doing a little mini pilgrimage to um, down south in Maryland, where the Ark and Dove landed. The first English Catholics came to America, came to the colonies, and founded Maryland. And then um, we're going to go up to Annapolis. Tom's been talking about Charles Carroll, so we're going to go up to um, the Charles Carroll House in Annapolis and some places around there. Um, also White Marsh, which is the home of John Carroll, the first bishop in the United States. Um, and then we're going to go out to Mount Vernon and see uh, Tom's favorite possible <laughs> Catholic, <laughs> George Washington's home, and then out to uh, St. Mary's and in, around in Old Town Alexandria where George Washington and John Fitzgerald where they lived and walked and worked to uh, establish a Catholic church there. So we're going to do those things uh, in September. Wow. And then, yeah, so we have that. We've also been out to Santa Fe and we've done a uh, pilgrimage out around in places around in Santa Fe, which is a very, very old Catholic city, um, older than the United States. And uh, also up in Wisconsin, there are some, rising number of Catholic sites in Wisconsin shrines. The only approved Marian apparition in the United States is in Wisconsin. Um, and then of course you've got Lambeau Field and Vince Lombardi. So we got a good mixture <laughs> up there in Wisconsin. And then um plus cheese and beer. Plus cheese and beer. Yes. We always <laughs> try to incorporate local food and drink while Again, we're, we're on pilgrimage. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And one day, uh, Tom talked about Margaret Hari. One day we hope to get down to New Orleans and lead a pilgrimage down in New Orleans and some of the, the sites, the Ursuline Convent, Margaret Hari, St. Patrick's Church, which Margaret Hari helped to help to build and some other sites down there. Also, um, Venerable Henriette de Lille um, and the uh, St. Augustine's, the Black Catholic Parish that's down there as well. Um, so to see the the mark of some of those some of those ladies <laughs> on Catholicism down there it makes me happy to hear you mention Wisconsin, which was my home state. We, we grew up about ah, forty okay. miles south of where the new uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe shrine is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, that, that's actually on the itinerary that we worked out. So our itinerary that we worked out so far is we start up in the Door County area up at Green Bay. Um, do a few things up there, St. Brillabroad, of course, Our Lady of Good Help, um, and then head west. We might stop at Roland Gardens, but then head west to um, La Crosse, and then after being in La Crosse, head over to Milwaukee and stop at Holy Hill along the way and go to um, St. Josephat, which is a really cool church in Milwaukee, also the um, Joan of Arc. St. Joan of Arc Chapel. Chapel. There are a at Marquette. Things. Yeah, at Marquette. A couple of things mm -hmm. in the Milwaukee area around the itinerary. But anyway, yeah, no, I'm. I really want to do that one. We haven't been able to to pull it off yet. 
but I really want to get a group together and do that trip because it's yeah, it just looks like yeah. fantastic. We've done so many episodes in Wisconsin. They're like it's for a while there. It was like every month or two we'd say, oh, here's a cool story. <laughs> it's Wisconsin, another Wisconsin story. Um, yeah. yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, and this is this is this is part of the amazing thing. Yeah, you know, we we sort of touched on it, but just the number of stories that there are from across the country and the surprising places you find a concentration of really awesome Catholic stories. If Wisconsin isn't that surprising because you had a lot of Germans go there. You had the French coming down from Canada. Um, but then you, but then, uh, and Belgians also, I mean, the apparition was Belgians, but then Kentucky, I grew up in Northeast Ohio, five hours from central Kentucky. I had no idea there was so much awesome Catholic history in central Kentucky. I knew about the bourbon, but you know, I didn't know about the, <laughs> the, the Catholic stuff. So I'm, I just, and it's, it's a wonderful place. We, 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 we went there. We're going to go back. It's a wonderful if place. If you, yeah, so. if you, if you're in driving distance of Bardstown and you have not been there, you need, you have to oh. go, even if you just drive past those beautiful yes. convents, monasteries. Yes. Yes. Well, in the proto-cathedral, it's amazing how large it is considering it was built in 1820. It was completed in 1820. It's a huge building for its age, and um, it's beautiful. Fifty percent of the people in that mm -hmm. county are Catholic, so it still has, you know, it's mm -hmm. it's still a Catholic it's, county. Yeah, actually, yeah. So we, um, one of the American Catholic History conversations that we're going to do is with Father Richard Gooden. He is the administrator, maybe pastor by now, but administrator of Holy Cross Church, which is that first parish west of the Appalachians. It's on land donated by Basil Hayden. And um, Father Gooden, he, uh, he's, he's actually a descendant, if you're familiar with Yan Yankee Doodle Dandy, the song. Father and I went down to camp along with Captain Gooden. He's a descendant of Captain mm -hmm. Gooden. Uh, but he's from that area. And he said, you know, if you look at the graveyard out here outside the church, you'll, you're only going to see like three or four last names that sort of repeat themselves over and over again. There are a few outliers, but pretty much just these three or four names. He said, those are the families that still live here. And it's like, most people who lived here grew up not knowing any Catholics because there's just no Catholics who live here. Anytime a Catholic moves into the area, they're like, I don't know, it's all Catholics here. There's no Protestant churches. So they either become Catholic or they move away. <laughs> but it's still mm -hmm. like that. So we're going to do a conversation with him because he's great. We talked to him when we were down there. Um, just get a bit more of that local flavor and insight because it was a really cool conversation just a quick talk that. so we'll expand that a bit all right now we're ready to pack up and go let's let's go to these places sounds great <laughs> sounds yeah ready. yeah please let's do it. let us know we we can't wait to oh my gosh okay <laughs> sounds so exciting uh this is coming out in september when is the uh your mini september 14th 15th and 16th is okay. the that's the that's the pre-event and then the conference is the weekend of the 16th 17th and 18th right okay I hesitate to say this sort of since it's September now and this is airing originally, but Thanksgiving will be here in very short order. And as we all know, the time goes faster all the time. So you guys have, like you were saying, tying the, your episodes to the calendar and the liturgical calendar, the episodes around Thanksgiving and the founding of America would be great listening. That'll be on the agenda here. Mm -hmm. So just yeah. another thought there. Absolutely. Yeah, actually, we should put yeah. together like a, like a, a American founding list. I'm not sure if that's yeah, one of the, handy. um, I think I have a founding fathers category on the website. Uh, and th that's specifically about exactly that. Okay. So you have it organized by category and state. That's neat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we do have, so if you, if you go to our website and hover on episodes, the drop down will have search by category, I believe, or browse by category. Mm -hmm. They click on that 
Now, I, I have to adjust the way it displays, but it'll take you to the bottom of the episodes page where they are all there. They're alphabetical. So it's a bit of a hodgepodge. So it's not the best organized thing. I do. I also build websites. That's So okay. I built our website. I'm, I manage it. Um, so yeah, I have to adjust the way the, the categories are displayed, but we do have them. But we do have an episode on Thanksgiving. We do. Um, yes. Quanto. And about the Quanto and the first Thanksgiving, there is an episode. So if someone's looking for some information leading up to that, um, we have some Halloween type ones. <laughs> we have, uh, of course, the Guy Fox one, which comes right after that on, on November 5th. So we have some good episodes coming up that are sort of timely to the season, for sure. Good stuff. We could uh, we could keep talking about lots of stories for oh, a yeah. long time, <laughs> but one day um, Tom and I are still sort of building support uh, for this and looking looking for time. But we do, like I mentioned, have a lot of ideas of resources we'd like to be able to put together for homeschoolers or just people looking for supplemental uh, things for for home or even for adults. Um, we are going to be actually doing our first online course this this fall, so we're a little nervous about that. But I'm not. We've, you're not. Okay, good. <laughs> um, one of our uh, longtime listeners actually is homeschooling and and asked, "Would you be willing to do this?" So, so we're putting that together, and and um, one day we hope to have a book of 100 Holy Americans for kind of a seven eight year old reading level, but one that uh you know, parents could read to their children as well and, and get to know um, some of these people in a book form. So we have a lot going on. Pray for us. <laughs> and hopefully one day we'll we'll have some of these resources out. So I'll definitely let you know when it happens. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Please do. Mm-hmm. Well, I've tried to rein in my enthusiasm. Hopefully, hopefully it's still evident, though. Thank you all so much for putting together this wonderful podcast and all the other things that you're working on and making available. Tom and Noel, it's really been a pleasure visiting with you. I'm so glad I got to meet you. Likewise, you our pleasure. Thank you so much for contacting us. Yes, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Good. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.